Hello and welcome to another Comedian's Interview for my blog A Rich Comic Life. My name is Richard Gill and my blog describes my experiences of watching over 800 comedians and counting over the last 46 years. My guest today is, I believe, a comedy legend. He's known as Daphne Fairfax, but he's otherwise known as the wonderful Mr. Arthur Smith. Yes! Hello! Hello, Richard, anyway. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, well, you know, I'm bearing up, shall we say. Yeah, yeah. I could be more miserable and I could be less. <laughs> well, it's wonderful to see you. It really is. And uh, we're going to uh, we're going to talk for the next hour about your comedy career. So I'd so I'd like to go way back to the start and ask you, please, how did you become a comedian? Well, uh, I when I left when I left university, I'd already been to the Edinburgh Festival when I was in a well, to be honest, it almost started way lot earlier than that. I tell the story of when I was uh, I must have been about nine or something, and the right. teacher, Miss Marshall, said, we're going to do Peter Pan. And I was so excited, I went home and wrote my version of Peter Pan, whatever that was, absolutely unperformable. But Miss Marshall said, well, we can't quite do that, but why you can play any part you want. And so I was Captain Hook, and I intended to come on, I had a coat hanger and everything, to come on stage shouting and screaming and frightening everybody. But I came on and everybody started laughing instead. And the more I tried to terrorise them, the more they laughed. And I think it was sort of at that point, I thought, oh yeah, comedy, that's something I like doing. <laughs> and then I did some stuff when I was at school. I, uh, you know, there was the school review. Yeah. And um, then at university, I, I was studying uh, English and French, essentially. But I, you know, we I was part of the university shows. And then we went in my last year to the Edinburgh Fringe where, of course, we you know, sold no tickets and no one really noticed us. But we went again the next year and we got a bit more attention and then we kept trying and trying. Meanwhile, I was in a band as well at this point. And I was a singer in a band, so I used to do the chat between numbers, which is often more impressive than the songs, isn't it? <laughs> and then, uh, uh, so, and then with the, this review company, we were called the National Review Company, we got a radio series. Uh, and then, then really the big thing though was, I suppose, in 1979 when the Comedy Store opened and, uh, and I went and saw, in fact, I applied to take part in that, I remember, but I never got a reply, so anyway. That, yeah. was, the, that was the opening night of the Comedy Store? Yeah, that's wow. right. So I wasn't actually there, but I did, but I, you know, it made a lot of noise and then I went to see uh, you know, uh, Alexis Sale, who yeah. really made an impression on me, and Rick Mail and Aid Edmondson and Pauline Melville. And then, uh, and then, so I went and did a turn at the Comedy Store. Anyway, I ended up playing the Comedy Store and Jonglers. There were more clubs opening. And I, you know, and I turned professional, uh, finally, when I was, I think I was about 30, just before the age of 30. I became a full-time comedian and uh, and you know I did other stuff too obviously my my first um, trip to the comedy store um, was uh, on the bill was um, I think the first one was John Maloney was emceeing yeah. um, uh, Hattie Hayridge yeah. uh, Lynn, dear old Linda Smith uh, who yeah. was wonderful um, yeah. Phil Jupiter's and top of the bill was uh, a comedian called Charles Fleischer who who was amazing but he was never heard of again because he went on to voice yeah. Roger Rabbit in America and that's uh -huh. where he made all his money and it was, he was extraordinary to see he was this yeah, it's funny how there are names you know I remember doing gigs at the comedy store and there were names that people think I wonder where you know some of them became famous yeah and, yeah, in, like the ones you mentioned there, and uh, but then some of them did just sort of disappear, and you never quite knew. There was one guy I remember who actually he died on top of a hill somewhere, quite young. Right. His name was he was a he was a vent act, 
Uh, I've forgotten. It's probably best I've forgotten. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what happens when you get older, you know. You've met so many people, you can only remember a certain percentage of them. That's the that's the wonderful thing I think about my blog though because I've seen so many yeah. I've got so many memories and I love watching them develop and and uh, go as far as the one eight hundred you say you've seen I've seen uh, I, by the end of it I'm, originally the blog was a book uh, but I couldn't afford to publish it so. Um, I thought to myself, turn it all into a blog, and I think by the end of it, I'll have seen over a thousand comedians since the seventies, which is extraordinary. I mean, I wonder how many professional comedians are there, and how many semi-pro, and how many, you know. It's a, it's a good question. I would say there are a it's, lot now. It's fewer than there are surgeons for example yeah. or miles fewer than doctors it's still a fairly rarefied thing although there are a lot of i mean when i started there seemed to be relatively few there was especially on the alternative so yes yeah like a handful of us for a while yeah but then, uh, uh you know most of the comedians that were then uh were from you know the sort of northern circuit or doing you know black they do blackpool and we did edinburgh yeah, they yeah, were yeah. the ones on the telly at that time but well the first year i can remember going to see a comedian was on holiday in scarborough in the 70s Excellent. and, in, and yeah. in the space of a year we saw les dawson and then we saw tommy cooper wow. and, and so tommy cool. cooper was just incredible it, yeah, I met him once. Oh, wow. Wow, was, that must have been amazing. Yeah, well, it was a bit like, oh. And there was someone had a good story. Who is it? Someone, a friend of his had gone on holiday with him to Morocco, supposedly. And they were going around Marrakesh Market and there were fezzies. And apparently the man saw, saw Tommy Cooper and said, hey, hey, just like that. And then the other, the, Tommy's friend said, did you know who he is? And no, he said, but everybody come, every English person come past here, <laughs> just like that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, he's Tommy Cooper. <laughs> when, you really are a proper historian. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, there are so many memories. When we, when we saw him, the curtains opened and he's lying on a bed and there's one woman in the audience crying with laughter. And it trickles <laughs> round, so everybody's laughing, and he hasn't done yeah, a thing. Yeah. And after and that's about, what he did. And, yeah. I, and after about five minutes, he popped his head up and he went, "What? What? Has somebody come on?" And everybody just <laughs> collapsed with laughter. Well, that's kind of ironic, though. Given, <laughs> well, given yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it was uh, what in a way, though, dying on stage, oh, that's awful. Away, yeah. but I mean, it's uh, obviously a bit difficult for the, the audience. Yeah, yeah. Incognito. Yeah. Um, can you describe your first ever gig? Can you remember your first gig? Well, it depends what you mean by gig. I mean, I, I had done stuff with the review company, but my first stand-up gig yeah. was at the comedy store. Uh, must be 1980 or something. Right. Uh, and we were we the the open. You know, I booked an open spot. But we came on like right late on, about two in the morning or something, or I did, and I was really nervous, and I foolishly uh, drank a bit too much, you know, because I didn't realise it was going to be so late. And so, frankly, I wasn't, it wasn't very good, and I didn't do it again for six months. And then I did, started emceeing at the Hemingford Arms in Islington. Right. And I got, I realised yeah, I was good at the comparing bit and you know, you didn't have to do too long and bits, you know, and you react with the audience and um, and so by the time the comedy store reopened then, it, that's when it went to Leicester Square after yeah. it had been, um, and, and I was booked straight off without, as the MC without, uh, you know, I didn't have to do an open spot because I'd already made a reputation at the Hemingford and uh, and then I, I, it was funny, it was about five years where I did every other weekend at the comedy store and the other weekend at Jonglers comparing. Yeah, wow. So, uh, lived at night, especially those, the comedy store then, the, there were two shows by then, there was the, and the second one didn't start till midnight, so you didn't finish till two in the morning. That's heavy going. 
Yeah, I know. It was kind of exciting, you know. And I, you know, I mean, I, I used to get a taxi home, I suppose, because I, I didn't I had night buses in. But you know, I wouldn't. But if we'd go off to some dodgy late night place in Soho, and I wouldn't get home till four or five in the morning, you know. So for about five years, I was living more or less. You know, at night, I didn't really yeah, see yeah. daytime very much, <laughs> or certainly at weekends, anyway. <laughs> You're done, you good man. Uh, how do you think comedy has changed since your career began? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a big question. Um, it's well, there, there are more comedians, there's a kind of huge circuit now. Mm. Um, obviously we were alternative comedy and, and the idea then that we had was that we did we were deliberately not doing like all the standard racist homophobic sexist yeah. stuff um and that's sort of i mean it's interesting now the whole debate about woke and free speech and whatnot but we were very much of the opinion and i think rightly so that you should you know if possible punch up and that main comedians slagging off women and uh, was just not a very good idea no. and I didn't approve of it uh, and that, those ideas remain in place although I know I've no I noticed a few years ago that you started getting male comedians doing stuff that would never have been agreeable to, to us when we were starting out you know kind of doing rapey jokes and whatnot. yeah yeah and also uh, comedy since then, I mean, then it tended to be you did material. I mean, even if it was about modern stuff, it, it kind of had a jokey feel. Whereas now more and more people tell their own stories and, you know, people tell, have their sadnesses and difficulties in life and they, they perform them on stage. And uh, so it's much more personal, I think, than it, than it was when I started out. Right, right. Um, Although obviously, there, you know, there are so many comedians. There's a million different types of comedy, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were some really wild ones out there when I was starting out. There was uh, the Ice Man, who is, and he used to melt a block of ice during the course of his set. <laughs> and there was uh, a Sylvie Bottle Locker who used to take bottle. Tops I've heard off. of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean. <laughs> There were some ridiculous acts then that, that were kind of wild and out there in a way that I think you wouldn't see quite so much now. Yeah. Part because it wasn't, you couldn't really earn, we weren't really earning a lot of money then. Um, and it, people did it really genuinely because they wanted to. I sometimes feel now there's people kind of go into it for the money and the, yeah. to get TV. That's their only real aim in whatever way they can. Yeah, very, very. I I think that's the case. That's the case as well because um, when I when I first went, the magic of going was just to to um, be in the environment and see what was going to happen. You never knew what was going to yeah. happen, and now um, having seen so many, I'm very good at um, telling friends who to recommend even all even if they've never seen them before and they come back and they say oh yeah rich that he, he or she was really good because yeah. of so because of whatever reason um and i think that all comes down to experience i mean the experience you've had and the stories you've got are extraordinary uh, mm -hmm. over the 30 40 years you know yeah i've been around a long time and yeah and i've got a lot of old stories but then you know there's a whole new world of comedians yes yeah there. one should applaud them too and with their new takes you know i mean i'm a bit of an old fart now if i do a gig now i said i have to sort of address the fact that i'm i'm an old bastard you know and <laughs> the old people themselves the young have nothing to say the border is mutual <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, to say the board, no, I prefer the quote is that uh, growing old is like being increasingly penalised for a crime you haven't committed. <laughs> That's great. That's actually a quote from. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> to date, do you have a best and worst gig? You've you've done so many. 
Um, do you have any specific stories about best or worst gigs? Oh, in some ways, you know, I do these outdoor walking tours. Yes, yeah. And um, let's say that I'll pick me best and worst. Remember, the worst being that, uh, the one that I got arrested at the end of it. That I should explain these, these are late night tours I do at the Edinburgh Festival once a year on the yeah. usually the last or second Saturday of the festival. Yeah. They don't start till 1 or 2 a.m. I mean, and I don't really drink anymore, and I'm, you know, I'm a bit more moderate than I used to be. But back in when I was doing these in the nineties, you know, every I'd have I'd have a megaphone, and there were like 150 people. This is three o'clock in the morning. So there were, and Malcolm Hardy, the comedian that I subsequently learned, always used to call the police at the beginning of it, say, "There's trouble up on the Royal Mile." <laughs> so there was all this kind of police turning up, and then one year, sure enough, at about. 4 a.m. Uh, Simon Munnery the yes. got arrested. There'd been a bit of nudity and a bit of you know shouting. Anyway, these coppers arrested um, Simon and um, took him down the station. And so I went down to the station to show solidarity to the police station. And then they came out and said, "Are you asking me?" I said, "Right, we were arrested," and they arrested me as well. And I was done for breach of the peace and possession of a megaphone. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> which brilliant. I fine, which I, I stopped often to pay, but I still haven't paid it. So I'm technically probably a wanted man in Scotland <laughs> now. But uh, although I was quite proud, I have to say. Too right. <laughs> but I got arrested at the end of the gig. You know, Lenny Bruce happened to. There's not many comedians no. arrested at the end of the gig. Oh, I haven't said that. I now remember another one. Where I was emceeing at Jonglers it, it, when there was only the one Jonglers in Battersea. Yes, yeah. And there was an act on, and uh, his, he had his name in Time Out or something. He was new, but he was only doing 10 minutes or something. And he came on, and, you know, he did all right. And then as he was coming off, though, two, uh, what I learned were plainclothes police officers stepped in and arrested him. And it turned out he was a wanted man. Wow. And they'd seen his name, some cop had seen his name in Time Out or something. And uh, so he got arrested at the end of his gig as well. I never saw him again, not to know. Wow. <laughs> wow, that is unbelievable. Um, and your best gig, you must yeah. have had loads. Yeah, I've, I think... Um, well, again, I'm going to go with the yeah, one of the outdoor ones. I did a version of Swan Lake uh, outside. And it's a kind of walking tour. And I ended it with the audience, uh, uh, the audience facing me and then Arthur's seat behind. Brilliant. In fact, Salisbury Crags. And I had, and I did this poem and ended up and saying, maybe somewhere on the hills, someone's dancing for you. And they turned around and I pointed and I had five ballet dancers set on top, more or less, you know, right on the, wow. the, the edge of Salisbury Crags there, started dancing. And it was just the scale of the joke and people were so amazed. And uh, it was just a, quite a magical moment, I remember. That's yeah, the, that's the wonderful thing about you, though, your originality to make an audience laugh i've always been staggered by that's why we always keep coming back to see you to see what you conjure up next it's amazing well yeah thank you i i, I try and do original things wherever possible and i've done some tired old shit too in my time <laughs> but, uh, yeah i like I, I think of myself essentially as a as a dardarist Right. Which, uh, those of you who don't know what Dada is, I suggest you look it up. But it was a strange guy. It eventually gave birth to surrealism, but it it was this movement that started uh, in 1915 in Zurich, where all these kind of weird people got together and started doing stuff that, that, that was absurd and just not like anything that had ever been seen before. And uh, anyway, da I'm a Dadaist at heart. That's that's the magic of it. You, you because you don't know what you're going to get next with you. It's totally unexpected. Yeah. Well, I don't always know either. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think makes a good comedian? Well, someone who makes an audience laugh. It's as simple as that. It's the number one thing, isn't it? You've got to be funny. 
that's the great thing about uh, comedy as an art form is uh, unlike anything else, you know it, 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 the, the response is instant and audible. If you're getting laughs, you're funny. If you're not getting laughs, you're not. Of course, this you know obviously some audiences are different, and so with some you'll get a laugh, maybe with others you won't. But you know, if you've done four gigs in a row where you went down the pan, it's probably time to give up. But everyone has a few bad ones, and the sound of laughter. You know, I love the sound of laughter. It's magical, it? isn't it? Yeah. It, I always think that's the closest we humans ever come to sounding like. Uh, you know chimpanzees people go ah, ah, ah. Now, of course you, you're famous for your laugh Richard <laughs> you're very famous well done <laughs> well the origin but, uh, of the origin every laugh of... is a signature every laugh <laughs> is a sort of shout out to our to the creatures that came yeah, before yeah 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 I think I, um, I, I had to do well i didn't have to do but i but i went along to a writing course for my blog it was a half day writing course and the and the other people wanted to be reviewers and uh the woman who was doing the writing course she said to me we we forget why we invited you and i said well i'm not a reviewer i'm not a diarist i'm not a critique i'm a member of the audience and i'm out to have a good time and uh, that's why I regard the blog as an enthuse, etc., etc. And she said, "Oh yes," she said, "Yes," and moved on, never bothered me again. And, yeah. I, and I think if well, you that's could... what every critic should be. You yeah, exactly. Yeah, attention. Yeah, um, uh, the origin of my laugh came from a holiday, a family holiday in Torquay, where where I was age ten, and uh, um, uh, because I ate all my meals. Uh, we were invited. Mum and Dad took me to a sh to a show. We went to see Tom O'Connor of all people at Brighton, and um, I laughed so hard that it actually floored his act, and he didn't know where <laughs> to go. <laughs> and well, I thought, I've got something here. I was surprised. You laughed him off or something. <laughs> Well he, well he was sort of like thrown back because he didn't realise how funny he was. <laughs> Well, well I think there's not many comedians who complain about too much. There was a Monty Python joke, wasn't there, about you know, if you could get the one joke that would make people just laugh for an hour, that's what you'd need to do, wouldn't it? <laughs> James Acaster once said to me, he said, he said, if I wasn't a comedian, I would sit next to you and try and make you laugh all day. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which is quite it's lovely really he's um, brilliant James oh he's brilliant he's um, absolutely brilliant yeah um how do you cope with any nerves before you go on stage do you still get nervous after all these years well not not so much no. as i used to but i i think you're more nervous if you're if you're going to be doing some new material mm and you're not certain about what the audience is like yeah and, but usually I, I mean you just have to sort of focus and um i pace around a lot and yeah. uh, sometimes tip some water over my head right you know, sort of my pre-stage rituals i also ring up my mother-in-law and say i'm a caged tiger she said right i'm opening the window i'm opening the cage door and then i said Rah! it's a bit of a joke between us brilliant yeah uh, but i mean you have to just sort of focus and um i mean it's always it's always a big moment when you're walking from the wings to the microphone however many times you've done it it's a it's a very special little journey and once and you're on stage start, are you okay yeah, once once you start speaking, mm. yeah, mm. then then well, if you're doing it right, you should be very focused on what you're doing and mm. trying not to fret about what you're not doing. You're just mm. doing it. Mm. Mm. Brilliant. Um, let's move on to Edinburgh proper. Um, you've been attending the Edinburgh Fringe since 1977, which is extraordinary. Yeah. Um, well, there were two years I didn't, and well, three years I hadn't been in that time. Right. The first one was just after two years, and then the second one was in the mid-90s, and I remember thinking, why am I not in Edinburgh? I felt like there was a big party with all my friends, and I hadn't been invited, you know, I'd been invited, yeah. but I'd chosen not to go. 
And then the only other time was uh, uh, last summer, you know, the summer of the of course, uh, where we pandemic. All yeah. My... Well, I went then, but... Um, right. So, yes. yeah, Edinburgh is very... The Edinburgh Festival is very special to me. And me. Um, I, I, I read that last year because I was going to try and go... You did try and put a week on at Edinburgh last year. Yeah, I was going to do it an out again, an outdoor. Yeah, week. yeah, yeah. And it was kind of, it was all kind of ready to go, and we were selling tickets now. But then I don't know, it, it was done through the pleasant. They just got cold feet. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. probably the best yeah. because you know I, I wouldn't want to be like, oh, it's the Englishman who brought all the, who brought up COVID nineteen and gave it to everyone <laughs> in his audience. But uh, so yeah, no, the Edinburgh things, you know, and I've tried all the things I've done, the best and the worst. Sometimes started out life at Edinburgh. That's like the, that's like the, you know, it's the end of the year, yeah, big yeah. show. Although also the beginning of the year because it's when you do a show that you might then tour around. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I'm a bit old school in that I very rarely got it completely together before Edinburgh, whereas. You know, people these days are doing previews in you know September after Edinburgh, yeah. so you know, nearly the a year year, before yeah. January. Yeah. Um, I'm a bit, I still am a little bit, or I have been right it up on the right it on the train on the way up. That's brilliant, though. <laughs> brilliant. Um, my my first Edinburgh was 2005, and I'd been putting it off and off and off because I thought to myself, the year I'm going to go. I'm gonna go for the re for the for every other year since, and I yeah. have done. And there is just the most. Why well, did you put it off so long? I don't know. Um, uh, I, I went to college. I uh, um, I don't know why. Why it you took were watching me... comedy a lot then. Say again. You were watching comedy a lot. Oh yes, you? yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to other gigs and and. Uh, um, I was I was in London for a lot of the time. I, I, I went to Stoke at college. I was based in Carlisle. But um, 2005, a friend of mine said to me, let's go to the Edinburgh Fringe. So I went and uh, I thought I, I was kicking myself. I thought, what have I been missing over the years? Because it's been, I mean, 1977, some of the acts that you must have seen then, your very first one, that must have been extraordinary. Yeah, well, I mean, you have to bear in mind that, that I mean, it wasn't as big as it no, is now. No. It was the biggest arts festival in the world. I mean, it was pretty big then, but there were, I, I remember there were about 40 comedy shows and they were mostly ones like the one I was in, uh, you, know, you know, college reviews. And they, there weren't any, there wasn't stand-up till 1980 when... Yeah. Uh, Alexi went and Rick Mail, I think, and uh, and Ben Elton. There was one year as well. So there, it uh, there were fewer acts to see, and uh, most of them now, uh, yeah. But I I was in a review. We were on at the same. In fact, we were up for the award as well. That they won was the Footlights. I had Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie yes, yeah, yeah. in it. So I saw that, and then lots of. I mean, we used to pal up a bit with the. Cambridge boys, so I saw, you know, uh, the one with Griff Reese Jones and Laurie McGrath and, um, yeah, it's, uh, so, yeah, and uh, Rowan Atkinson, you know, yeah. in there. And, uh, I, saw, the, I saw Rowan Atkinson in Newcastle on his first tour with Angus Deaton in oh, about yeah. 1982, and uh, I saw Rick Mail and Ben Elton, I saw, I saw Ben Elton at college in Stoke. And I saw Rick Mail. Rick Mail played Carlisle, and he jumped on stage. His trousers exploded, and started <laughs> saying, "Ladies and gentlemen of the Carl." And then he started the show, and he realised he kept calling Carlisle the Carl, and he realised that somebody next to me was not laughing, so he jumped down and threw him out. <laughs> it was it was just. An extraordinary experience. It was a. He's a sad loss. He really is. He, he you was... ever see Ken Dodd? Oh, Ken Dodd. I've seen four or five times. I once got into an argument with Ken Dodd, a crew, really? um, a playful argument. He he came on, came on for the second half, and he wanted to tell. Wrong, presumably already about. It was me. about eleven o'clock, <laughs> and he um, 
he, he wanted to tell a joke about a newspaper in crew and i yelled out it was the crew chronicle and two dear old ladies behind me went no no it's the crew mail and i went no no it's the crew chronicle it's the chronicle <laughs> and they went no it's the mail and he could he floored him he couldn't stop laughing <laughs> and he said and he said sir where are you from i said carlisle he said, so it must be the crew mail then and not they're right and you're wrong and I'll see you on Sunday. <laughs> Which one was it then? It was the mail. They were right. <laughs> was there a crew chronicle though? The, the, there was, but I think I think one was just going out of circulation. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, completely uh, messed it all up. But, uh, uh, but uh, local papers, you, know, you don't see them as much. No, as no, no, no. But uh, they... But, but, but but what was interesting at the end of that, um, at the end of the half, when we're all still awake, he, as he walked off, he gave me a thumbs up, which meant thank you very much for all the yeah. audience banter, which is what he clearly was after. Because yeah. from that point, he took the mickey out of me for the rest of the half, which I loved. Yeah, I did a gig with him once. It was some kind of corporate affair in... Uh, it was up at that race, Beverly race course. I don't, quite, I don't know what it was anyway, but, and I was the MC and he was like top of the bill. And uh, he was down to do only 40 minutes. But of course, obviously being Ken Dodd, there was no way he could only do 40 minutes. So <laughs> he carried on, he'd done about an hour and then they paid off the band that was meant to go on after because they you know and then he did another you know 20 minutes and then the, the bloke running the event came up and said look arthur can you just go and get pull him off <laughs> and i said oh no if you think i'm gonna go and get ken dodd off stage <laughs> i refuse and somebody else had to go and do it oh god no he was, he was he... i always thought it was rather amazing that he um you know, it was almost as though that was the only place you wonder if he was truly happy because he was just so anxious to be on stage yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. He what he was like outside of that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we we saw him at Car in in Carlisle at, at at the Sand Centre there once, and he's infamous for staying on stage till the early hours, yeah. and uh, the interval was about half past ten. And my friends around me thought that was the end of the show and they all they all got up and went for last orders in the pub yeah. and i followed them i thought i thought oh you know i'll i'll, I'll go i'll yeah. go with them we, we had a few jars <laughs> and um I, I, we were done by about half past 12 and as i walked past the theater on the way home the lights were still on so I thought, oh, I'll walk back in. My seat was still there. There was no problem. I sat down. He was still on stage going for another hour. Because <laughs> I always, I gather they had to have kind of special arrangements with, because obviously the, the staff, you know, the, yeah. the SM. And the a staff, lot of them gave him the keys. <laughs> yeah. They, you know, the, I used to do a joke when I go and do gigs and they'd say, how long do you do? I say, about the same as Ken Dodd. <laughs> and then they go, oh, there you go. I think he had to have a special arrangement to pay them extra. Yeah, yeah. And why wouldn't you? No, it's like you go to work for eight hours and you're there for fifteen. You should get the overtime. <laughs> he was he was extraordinary, really. Well. Yeah, he was. Um, uh, right. So let me go through a roll call. I've just dropped the sheet of paper. Let me go through a roll call of, of your Edinburgh shows that I've seen. I've seen. I went to see uh, Arturat. In, oh, in, yeah. in 2007 which I was well impressed with um, I saw Cobbled Up Shambles in 2010 oh, yeah. I saw your Pissed Up Chacho in 2011 so oh, yeah. all your Leonard Cohen shows all three of them <laughs> we saw Oh Hazel which oh, was yeah. wonderful your po uh, with the, po the poems and we saw uh, Arthur, Arthur Smith Sid in 2018 dedicated to your dad um, can you describe your writing process if you've got one and how do you get your ideas for shows yeah that, that question that John Cleaser was had a good question answer to that question when he was asked uh, where do you get your ideas from and he used to say oh I get them from a news agent in uh, Cardiff but I don't know <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, uh, well, ideas sort of float around and then you get to the point where you think, right, I've got to decide what I'm going to do. And then bang, you have to sort of grab at one of them. I yeah. mean, you know, one out, you know, for every show I've done, there have been probably 20 that I've considered doing. And, um, you know, because I, I like the idea of, a bit of singing it. I mean, that, the, the Andy, the Leonard Cohen ones came about because in the early 90s, I did a show called Arthur Smith Sings Andy Williams. Yeah. I only picked that title. I had a title. I didn't know what the show was going to be. And I just picked that title because I thought it sounded silly. I mean, you probably don't even remember Andy Williams. But then I, when I came to do it, I ended up, I got fascinated by this Dardarist character called Arthur Craven. And I thought, I want to do a show about him. So I did a show about him punctuated by pointless Andy Williams songs, which I did with Tony Hawks. And it ended up becoming something quite sort of, quite very original and different. And uh, so then I said, I should do Arthur Smith sings Leonard Cohen, because I always loved Leonard Cohen. And I didn't yeah. sing any, but I just thought that sounds like the grimmest evening of entertainment imaginable. Uh, <laughs> but then I ended up trying some Leonard Cohen songs and found that I could sort of sing them just about. And, uh, and I thought, oh, what the hell, why not? So, uh, and like the pissed up chat oh, was an idea I'd had for ages about getting, uh, the idea was that I had members, of, I had got guests, but they had to be drunk. Yes. And I, Tested them when they came on with a with a just with a breathalyzer to see if they were properly drunk, and if they weren't, they weren't allowed on. Because I was interested in the idea of in vino veritas, and because drunk people can be very funny. Yeah, yeah. Of but what I discovered with that show was that yeah, sometimes people were ridiculous and funny, but then quite often they were as drunks can be, very boring. <laughs> I don't know who was on the day night you saw it, Richard, but I hope it wasn't one of the boring ones. I think, no, 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 it was a riot. I, I I think I was drunk. I can't remember who the guests were. <laughs> well, that's very good of you showing solidarity with the guests. <laughs> one, one of the one of the wonderful things, as I say, though, is 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 your originality because your shows have got a lot of memories for me. I I I remember queuing up to see you. And you appeared, uh, uh, said to say hello to everybody in the queue, and you gave everybody a rock as you shook their hands. It was just a little pebble or a rock <laughs> or something. And I thought, this is genius. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes, you know, meeting up with the audience beforehand can be quite. I used to do a thing where I, well, with the Andy Williams one, I think I had a program, and I'd pick go around and programs five p. And they gave me a program, and then gave them five p as well. <laughs> the people who took a programme. So I like to sort of experiment <laughs> with uh, with form in these matters, yeah. There was a, there was another great uh, routine that I remember where you, you walked out and you went to the front of the stage and you started your show. And as you were chatting to the audience, a naked woman walked oh, from yeah. one wing to the other wing and everybody went, oh, and you didn't bat an eyelid. And then at yeah. the end of the show, she walked back. <laughs> yeah, and I right. just thought that was genius. <laughs> yeah, that's Marissa, my friend, who is actually, she, that's a, she does it as a job. She's a, a, a new model for people to paint. Oh, that's know. brilliant. Doing it. So she volunteered. I thought, well, why not? <laughs> I don't know if you could, I should really do that now, to be honest. No. I've had a naked man coming on at the end of, um, what was it, at the end of the second Leonard Cohen show, I think, or was it the Hazel one? Yeah. I had a naked man playing an accordion. That's right, it, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I yeah. Remember. And I, I also I remember... It was a big finish. Yeah, <laughs> I also remember you did, uh, you sang Arthur Smith and his amazing dancing bear, oh, yes. bloke in a bear suit dancing yeah. next to you that was great <laughs> yeah yeah sometimes you know I, I mean in a way i like the pure purity yeah. stand up but sometimes just bringing something ridiculous into it can especially in a longer form show yeah can, you know make a nice difference oh yeah very much so your your opening line to most of your gigs which is the name <laughs> of your book my 
it says on the back my name is arthur smith unless there's anybody here from streatham tax office in which case i'm daphne fairfax that yeah. is one of the greatest opening lines to any gig <laughs> i've ever seen that that is up there with harry hill who i saw 30 years ago oh, and yeah. i first saw him downstairs at the king's head and he brushed past me and he jumped up on the stage and he said ladies and gentlemen i'm really sorry i'm very late for this show i had to have a testicle brought down and there was a pause and then he <laughs> said from derby <laughs> <laughs> and you knew where you were with it and it's exactly the same with this your your comedy is so joyous to watch and you leave everybody smiling it's it's wonderful uh, no, um, I have some miserable bits in too. Sometimes that's sometimes it's nice to mix in some sadness. Yes, yeah, and but then you know, kind of end with the laughter. Probably. But then, but but then, because you're very endearing, there's a lot of poignancy when you when you do that, and 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 folk care about what you're saying, which is half of it as well, you know. Yeah, and I, I like to sometimes do poems as part of my yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how it kind of fit, can fit in quite well with a comedy gig. Even Very just a so. 20 minute set or something, I sometimes end on a poem. And uh, because it's comedy is a bit like poetry, yeah. it's looking for laughs. But it's you know very careful choice of words and observations and small stories. Yeah. And, we we love to go and see um, John Hegley's shows. Oh yeah, and uh, he's a he's a he's another famous comic poet, and uh, um, he he does a great one about glasses, and he, and he got me up on stage one Edinburgh, and we swapped glasses, and I couldn't see a thing. For, <laughs> for well, you wrote a whole book of poetry about glasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glad to wear glasses. I've, I've got it behind me here. Well, yeah. I've, got, I've got my glasses on. I've got my glasses on my face. I've got my glasses in the proper place. Well, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. He, uh, he's, he's, well, he is a proper poet as well as a comedian. Yeah, very much. He's, 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 he's wonderful. You don't see that so much now in comedy gigs, do no. you? Like, poets do you know half poet. i mean phil jupiter's did started out doing so did jenny Clear. yeah fact, yeah, yeah. Started, she was doing kind of comic poetry yeah um how how do you remember all your jokes and routines is there a way that you remember them or do you just wing it or do you have pointers or i i, I have it depends what the show is but yeah. i usually have a you know like a, a, a bit of paper with 10 bullet points on right uh, which which will lead me i mean some of those will, uh, is a is a signifier for four or five you know it's 10 minutes material right we put down i don't know or, uh, grumpy or something you know i've got a whole a little list in the back of my head of uh, i am grumpy because routines yeah yeah and, uh, but uh yeah, and sometimes you just depart from the scripts and wing it a bit. And uh, yeah, I always used to, when I used to do a lot of MC, I used to have, if I forgot what I was saying, <clears throat> I would, I'd always have two jokes at the back of my head that I would always do. And, that, and while I was doing them, I was thinking, all oh, right, what can I do next? You know, I used to do, I used to do a knock, knock joke. I used to do knock, knock. Who's there? Mandy. Mandy who? Man delights not me, no nor woman neither, though by your smiling you seem to say so. <laughs> that's the world's only Shakespearean knock-knock joke. And, uh, <laughs> Brilliant. Once I'd said that, I was kind of regrouped a bit. I thought, well, I could go and do a bit of Shakespeare material, which I've also done. I did do a version of Hamlet in, uh, at the festival one year. Yeah. It's vaguely comic, but not entirely comic yeah. version. What what was the other joke? Uh, oh, the other one was uh, hang on, oh, so long as I it used to be. T uh, I'll do an impression. What's this? And then I'd stand on the stage and I'd say, uh, "It's an overenthusiastic Nazi." <laughs> and then and then at one time I used to say, "No, it's Mark Thatcher driving," but that was a very reference to Labour. <laughs> and then and I'd say, "Oh, it's a." Uh, someone having a piss so, <laughs> and, then, and then i'd say well although a female drunk we have to be in the right state you have a piss like that but anyway yeah <laughs> that was the other one that, uh, 
But talking of knock-knock jokes, I hear they're going out of fashion. Young people don't know what they are anymore, I was reading. <laughs> but this is really just a cue to do another knock-knock joke. <laughs> Please. Knock-knock. Uh, Who's there? M-A-B, it's a big horse. <laughs> M-A-B, it's a big horse who? Uh, maybe it's a big old sign, my London That's another little bit of news on those jokes about North and South London. I said, like I said, there's a lot, of, a lot of bad talk about the North, and I agree. I think the North is shit, and I, if I was doing this in Leeds or something, so now I'm talking about North London. <laughs> there's been that classic Londoners joke going back centuries about you know everyone in South London hates everyone in North London, and vice versa. It's a bit like with Cornwall and uh, Devon as to what's the best way to do your your scone. <laughs> <laughs> I love your joke about you going to the doctor and it, and it was a lovely woman doctor and, she, and well, this one you, you, want, you once you, you once walked onto the stage and you said um, I had to go and see my doctor the other day she's a beautiful girl my doctor and she looked at me and she said you really must stop masturbating, sir. And I said, why? <laughs> she said, you're try I'm trying to examine you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking that, no, I don't do it with a woman, Doctor. He doesn't, he doesn't have to be a woman. He said, you have to stop masturbating. I said, well, yeah. No, I was thinking that it's a male doctor, really. <laughs> you put stuff in about being a beautiful woman. Yeah, when well, a man goes to the doctor, Joe, so I've got a little, I've got a few. load of them. <laughs> I'll give you one more. Yes, please. A man goes to the doctor, the doctor says, bad news, he says, I'm afraid you've got Alzheimer's and you've got cancer. <laughs> oh, well, he says, at least I haven't got cancer. <laughs> we could go on and on and on, but um, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's Funny move on. Yeah, I rigorously didn't do that kind of material but uh as i've grown older i've become fonder of them again yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like Barry Cryer. yeah oh what a man what yeah. a man yeah um, we've seen him many many times um you've also appeared on tv and radio over the years how does this differ from live stand-up from doing something live well I, mean, I think I prefer the live stuff, really. Yeah. Live, that's the essence of comedy. It's happening here now. It can't be edited. There's, there's you and the people you're interacting with. Uh, but, you know, TV, I like doing radio probably more than TV. And I've done a few... Uh, in fact, I'm doing a, a radio version of uh, my show about me dad. So right. Doing a half-hour version of it. Very <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I've done a lot of radio over the years. I'm still on loose ends sometimes. Yeah. Like before, I, I prefer. I mean, you know, as the old thing, I've got a face for radio. Probably is uh, <laughs> TV. It's just all. I don't know. It's always full of sort of cheating. Really, you know, there was it's a series of lies. Often TV, you know, like people pretending to be enthusiastic. There's a they're not really, they're just, you know, that's what they're paid to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the angles and the editing and the lighting and what you're wearing, none of those things count on radio. Mm, mm, mm. Um, we're all living in strange times. It's a been a horrible, awful time. Um, how have you found online gigs as opposed to live stand-up gigs? Have you done any? Have uh, What yeah, do you I've, think I've of them? I've done, I've done a few, not that many. I, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm, I'd rather do them than nothing at all. But I, I don't really enjoy them because, for one thing, the everything's out of sync. So even if you put in people who are some of the audience and you can hear them laughing, but they're always laughing a beat after they would do normally. Yeah, yeah. Just difficult to to find the rhythm of it, and. Uh, and you know you can sort of talk to people in it, but it's it, it's always a bit awkward and yeah. So uh, frankly, I'm not a one for Zoom gigs, no. but uh, I can do them, and yeah. I've done it. All that were quite fun, but it seems ridiculous, you know, like sitting here 
doing a gig. You're meant to go out and yeah, get exactly. the train there and stand in the wings and say hello to the other comedians and listen to the sound of laughter in the where it should be and hear the people coughing and farting and human beings. Do you know, I remember human beings? Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I'm and um, uh, I I do go to a lot of. Uh, online gigs. I go to Jarlath Regan's gig, The Irishman oh, yeah. Abroad, the, the the Return of the Crack gig on a Friday. I go I go to Always Be Comedy. I go to. Um, so you go to them. You... <laughs> well, I'm, I'm here on them, or, or I actually physically yeah. go to them. Um, no. But um, I always look at online gigs as being a super substitute for the real <laughs> thing. I think yeah. I think with lockdown, if 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 they weren't there, I'd have gone mad. I'd, I'd, I would have. I'd, you have to because I've got such such a passion about comedy. The very fact that they're there, I will go to them. But the yeah. first, or, or or I will dial into them. The first few weeks or so, there was no audio. So of course, with my laugh, I was just laughing at these four walls, and I thought <laughs> I was going to get taken away. You know, but until they started. <laughs> put an audio on them it worked yeah, really yeah. well but well, you were laughing <laughs> but you but you can't beat a live comedy night and i no. really hope they come the, the, they 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 come back well, i love to go to listen, uh, you know it, it might even as we um spe speaking now it all might be back to normal when they're watching yeah. this who knows That's yeah because yeah. uh, i mean you're in a room and anything can happen and you're only in that one environment yeah. at that particular point and, and you're with a group of people who will never be gathered together again yeah yeah you know, every every occasion is unique like yeah that. yeah w wonderful um who are your favorite comedians past and present uh i think aristophanes is quite <laughs> funny he's the best yeah <laughs> I think uh, French and Saunders yeah. are hilarious. Victoria Wood yeah. is a genius. Carolina Hearn, yeah. fantastic. Linda Smith, who I love oh. Linda. I'll do two old Linda jokes I'm sure she would mind me doing. She's, yeah, I've Please always do. thought she, she really nailed our relations with the Middle East. She said, see, the trouble with the Middle East is that somehow or other, our oil has ended up under their sand. <laughs> and I think that that is a perfect analysis. You have to get a big laugh. So what was the other one I said? Because she was a humanist, and uh, and she said if God had wanted us to believe in Him, He would have existed. <laughs> 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 so and I, you know, the present generation, I think you know, Catherine was wonderful. And, uh, I, and, uh, I, yeah, you mentioned uh, who was it? You mentioned earlier on. I think he's brilliant. Uh, the guy, uh, most of the time, anyway, him. <laughs> yeah, there could be an anybody. Uh, uh, Tom O'Connor, that's it. <laughs> yeah, and Ken Dodd. Yeah. Ken Dodd, Ken Dodd. I mean, as a youngster, I, I, I was a fan of Monty Python. Yeah. Because they, they were doing sort of completely different thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but over the years, uh, you know, there's always new brilliant comedians coming into play. Yeah. I don't find particularly funny who do very well, but then, you know, you can't love everybody. I think, I think because comedy is subjective, there's a space for everyone in it. But yeah. um, certainly when you were talking about Linda Smith, um, I, I went to the, um, they did a show in Edinburgh uh, in honour of her and yeah. uh, it was at the assembly hall and and, and uh, after the show i went into the weatherspoons next door and hattie hayridge was sitting there just just oh, sitting yeah. at the bar and um i went up to her and i said oh, oh, oh i said i hope you don't mind but i'm a big fan and i've just seen um the linda smith uh um memorial show and she talked to me for a good half hour about how they were because they were a double act weren't they in the in the in the nine the eighties and the nineties Linda and Hattie they they were on stage together quite a lot oh, yeah. yeah I don't know I don't know whether there was so much a double act but the, but they certainly worked a lot together yeah yeah 
Um, oh, she, she, she was a, she was a, a one-off. Yeah. She was. She 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 was extraordinary. Um, like me, do you have time to go to a lot of comedy gigs as a member of the audience? Well, not as many as I used to, to be honest. But obviously during the pandemic, and no, yeah, yeah. If I'm in Edinburgh, I'll probably go and see. You know, I tend to be more concentrated on my own. I, I tend to go and see, you know, six or seven shows, maybe. Right. Although, you know, I did so much compound over the years that I used to see every act. You yeah. Know, I did the Hackney Empire New Act of the Year Award yeah. for about 15 years. And so every act, you, you know, you see loads of acts coming through. I remember seeing, you know, May Martin and Russell Brown. I remember Russell Brand. Uh, while I was on stage, he was shagging a woman in my dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't I, surprise. Don't think anyone will be very surprised about. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you prefer comparing to a solo show? No, these days, you know, the trouble with I mean, I, yeah, I used to like comparing, and I'm still happy to do it. But it was, I mean, you're there. You have to be there three hours longer than everybody else. Right. So, and these days, uh, I'd, I'd you know, I'd rather do um, twenty minutes than an hour and a half. Yeah, you know, I think yeah. Getting old, I'm still happy, and I do still do a bit, bit of comparing. Yeah, good man. Um, just before we go, is there anything else you'd like to say? Have you got any gigs coming up? Have you got any podcasts? Have you <laughs> writing any more books? Yeah, well, I'm writing, apart from doing the Radio 4 show, I'm, I'm writing a book around my father's memoir because my dad um, had quite, you know, he, he was got, had quite a war. He was captured at El Alamein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a prisoner of war for two and a half years and he ended it as a prisoner in Colditz which is uh, still well known I and mean, it's quite famous around in the 60s and 70s because of the TV series and and I took him back to Colditz when he was um, when he was 70 and then he became a, a London copper with a, and, he, and anyway he wrote this all up in his memoir that we got him to write and it's full of funny stories about being a copper and then the grim times of being a prisoner of war and, but then when he was freed, and what a fantastic feeling that was to finally come home after two and a half years. Yeah. Extraordinary life. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so uh, I'm writing that, that a book basically you know, wrapped around his memoir, a book about him. Brilliant. And I'm thinking of doing a show where I teach the audience French and take them on a weekend to Paris. Wow. It's like, moi j'arrive à parler français, pas aussi bien que le français, mais quand même. Uh, Sign me <laughs> up. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, well, who knows? Who you know, knows? I've been dead before then, you never know. Or maybe, maybe I'll give it all up and become uh, a classical violinist. <laughs> Although I can't play the violin, so probably not. Where can where can people find you on social media? Do you use social media? Well, I do Twitter, uh, Arthur Smith. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I quite like Twitter because it's like one-liners you can write. Yeah. <laughs> I used to write, if I was thinking of a joke, I used to write it on a bit of paper, and, which I then lose. And now I just put it maybe on Twitter and think, oh, yeah, and then see it later on. Uh, and I, yeah, Facebook and Twitter, but I don't really do Instagram. No, that, no. The joke about that is, I used to think Instagram was just a really efficient drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, uh, but I, Twitter really I, is the main thing I do with those. And, uh, yeah. Although I kind of, you know, I can see it's very easy, you just sort of get sucked into all that. All yeah, yeah. And it's very, it's very that. useful for promoting my blog, but that's all I do. Yeah. You know, well, you do Facebook or? I do all of them. I do Facebook, Twitter, yeah. WhatsApp, Instagram, LinkedIn. There's loads of them. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have got a LinkedIn one, but I just wrote rubbish. And if you look me up on LinkedIn, <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> Arthur, thank yeah. you so, so much. I could talk to you all day. Your stories have been brilliant. They've been well, so, so funny. 
Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Richard, and uh, I, I look forward to the uh, vast waves of love and affection and disapproval that may waft in when this is out and about. Of course, my friend, of course there will be, and I will see you again very, very soon. Yeah. Most, most, most probably at the Fringe. Yeah. I want to hear you laugh again. Exactly. Thank you so much for listening to a Rich Comic Life podcast and I hope you've enjoyed the interview. If you did, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. You can also watch the video interview on my YouTube channel. More comedians interviews will be added to both the podcast and my YouTube channel every weekend. Please go to www.arichcomiclife.blog to access the menu for all my blogs, the YouTube videos, the podcast and more and please keep listening, watching and reading about my experiences of watching stand-up comedy. Thanks again and best wishes, Richard Gill.